Hey, if you're new or visiting, welcome this morning. We have lots of fun as a family, and we want to do that. That's a big part of being together. And I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel like you can talk to people and uh, have relationship, and that's a big part of it. We're in First Thessalonians, so if you want to take your Bibles, turn there. Uh, we talked last week about sexual purity, and so uh, if you weren't here and you want to track with that, you can go on our website and download that one and um, <coughs> get caught up. But we're moving on to verses this morning, and we're just going to do two, all right? We're, we're going to do these two verses, uh, verses 9 and 10, because uh, there's a bunch of things we can roll out of this that um, what I think happens is we know the stuff I'm going to talk about, and it seems old hat, so we just kind of blow by it. And I want to show you that it wasn't old hat for the early church, and that it's really not old hat for us when we stop and think about it. And I want to give you a way to think about it this morning that I think will be fun. So would you join me in prayer and let's, let's pray and we'll start. Lord, when we think about the issue of the command to love you and to love each other, that's something that we are all been in a lifelong process of learning how to do. And we take these verses this morning that uh, Paul laid out and want to wrestle with them, think through them. And, and Lord, I hope uh, the illustration stuff I provide will be uh, food for thought as people go through the week and to think about how dynamic it is what these two verses talk about. And we give that to you with great hope this morning. Lord, it's your kingdom and your spirit as you've been rolling it out. And we pray some of the connections on that will be made. So we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So the verses read like this. I'm reading out of ESV. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And I notice the highlight there is now concerning brotherly love. This is something that, um, as I said, when we can look at it, our tendency is like, okay, old news. Thanks, heard that before. Um, and we just quickly blow by a passage like this to get to the good stuff. Yeah, I've been there, heard that, done that, right, kind of thing. And um, But I... I wanted you to stop there for a second. One of the things I'm trying to do is uh, slow it down and unpack it because you have to remember, this was one of the very first churches in all of Europe, right? You had Philippi, then you had Thessalonica, then you had Berea, then you have Corinth. So out of the four, it was number two in terms of being planted. And it became very quickly one of the more significant churches in that, that whole area. And so... Um, in terms of newness, it's right on the map of being, you know, first first done. I mean, Paul literally went from Philippi, walked to Thessalonica, and started the church. So they're only days apart in terms of origin and Genesis. But uh, this was the very first letter written to one of the very first churches. Think about that in terms of what would you have written? What would you have left? What would you have the church think about? And one of the things that was captured Paul's attention was this issue of brotherly love. Brotherly love, we know that term, right? Philadelphia, the Seahawks played Philadelphia this year, right? Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Not so much, right, in America, but they have the title, right? And uh, and that's where this term comes from, brotherly love. It's Philadelphia, as, as we know it. Now, the term brotherly love was a secular term, and it used, was used, like we would know, to describe family relationships, Right, like brothers or you know cousins, and you had that kind of familiar or, or family love. And what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says, and I, I just pulled it because it said it so well, says that this term, brotherly love, was quick and ta- quickly taken over 
by Christianity to describe the closely forged relationships of those who became family and thus brothers in Christ. Now, stop and think about that a moment. You know, again, yeah, yeah, old hat, but think about what was forged so quickly in Thessalonica. The, Paul came, spoke to the church, and, and gave the message of the cross, and people believed, but right in the middle of that, all this persecution and riot broke out. So these relationships weren't formed in a vacuum. They were formed in the heat of battle. And in the heat of battle, they started to realize, wow, I have an incredible bond with these other people who have been saved by Jesus as well. And that got forged and they very quickly started to call themselves family. And they very quickly started to call themselves brother. Now, we don't do that that often here. We don't, you know, brother Mike or brother, you know, every once in a while. And sometimes fairly in a joking form because it's not really our lingo, how we work. But if you're in the southern part of the United States or the eastern part of the United States, um, that term's used a lot, right? And if you've gone to different churches and you walk in, hey, brother, glad to have you. And, oh, okay. And it's based off of this instruction in the Thessalonian church uh, where we become identified in Christ as family and that we are supposed to be bonded together as family on the level of this brotherly Brotherly love. So uh, suddenly they found themselves as spiritual family, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And in this instruction, Paul says, you have no need uh, for anyone to write to you, which is kind of oxymoronic because he's writing to them, right? But he's writing that you don't have anybody to write to you for yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In other words, Paul highlights both the fact and the emphasis of this brotherly love didn't come from him but was rather something that had been started already. Uh, They had been immediately imprinted by the Holy Spirit. Now, imprinted is a word that you might not understand. Let me give you a picture that might help with that. Um, You ever see the Kentucky Derby, right? You follow that and the the big horses. And sometimes uh, you will see the trainer walking across those paddocks and the big horses just following them, right? And he doesn't have a halt or anything and the horse is following. You wonder, God, how did they train those horses these powerful animals to follow the trainer. Well, they use a process called imprinting. And what that is, is when a mare has a foal, often the mare brings the foal into herself, licks the foal, breathes on the foal, and the foal gets imprinted with its mother's scent and knows that that's its mom. What they do with these Kentucky Derby horses is they take, the when the horse is ready to give birth, it gives birth to the foal, they keep the mom's head down, and they take the foal away, and they wipe it off, and then the trainer cups his hand and breathes on the foal. Right? And that imprints the foal with the scent of the trainer and the foal then thinks that the trainer is its mom. And so when you watch, watch that this year and Kentucky Derby rolls around, it'll be coming around this spring, watch him walk and the horse will follow the mom and uh, it thinks it's his mom. Now, I don't know what you think of that process, whether that's morally right or not. You know, everyone, oh, that poor little horse, you know, it doesn't know his mother, Right? and got stolen and used for bad purpose. That's not the point. point is that the point is that that little foal got imprinted and now has got that scent, right? Likewise, Scripture says when we get saved, we get imprinted with the scent of the Holy Spirit. And there's some things that are immediately oppressed upon us. And one of these is this issue of um, brotherly love. Paul says that, you do not have need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And if you think about it, that's one of the first things that got imprinted on me, on you, um, when that happened, 
is that, uh, wow, I, brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, that's my new family, right? And that's a powerful family uh, to walk in on. I was talking to a guy this week, and the guy doesn't know Lord. Very honest discussion, really a lot of fun. And he was throwing out a bunch of things. And, and I said, well, could I just share something? I said, I can understand why you have that opinion, because you um, would think that I'm a pastor because I'm a religious person. But I said, you'd have to know that I, I'm not a religious person. I said, I'm not really uh, ever set out as a life goal to be a pastor, although that's what I meant up doing. I said, there was another Steve that used to be like you sitting in your chair that you don't know about. And um, I said, what I would have to tell you is you have to know something. I ran into him. I met him. This idea, this Jesus guy is not just an idea. I met him in a powdered milk factory at three in the morning. And he kind of looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, I got strange stories. And, you know, but we went on to talk about um, how powerful it is when God imprints you as spirit with things. And one of the things that immediately I knew is that this was not just an option, but God's family was my family now. Anybody who belonged in it, uh, I related to, and I had to be a part of that. And that's what Paul is highlighting for the Thessalonian church. It's part of their DNA. It's part of what came out of their salvation. Their love for God immediately rolled into their love for each other. And again, I want to say, remember, this was accomplished in the midst of a, a fiery trial. They, 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 Thessalonica got turned upside down with riot uh, over this whole issue that uh, Jesus had died on the cross for people's sins. And this process uh, deepened through the process of, of sanctification as it kept going. And then the third part is... For indeed, this is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you as brothers to do this more and more. Like we talked about last week with the sexual purity thing where Paul says, you're doing well, do this more and more. Likewise, with this brotherly love thing, you're doing well, do it more and more. What were they doing well? Well, reports had gone out that um, the Thessalonica church began to hook up, began to link with the other churches, and reports had gone out about how they started connecting with the other churches. It would have to have been Philippi and Berea. Uh, we don't know about Corinth, but other fellowships started and they started to have an impact to where reports came back to Paul. This is how the Thessalonican church are loving the other believers on the, on the peninsula, right? And Paul says, listen, I, and you saw that in chapter one, I've received reports from you on how well you're doing in this, right? The report had gone out through uh, what was happening in Thessalonica. So some very powerful things radiated out of, uh, of that church. And, and they, they kept doing it. And part of the problem when we, when we do this is that it's frozen in time to where, okay, that's Thessalonica, that's 2,000 years ago. Yeah, but what connect does that have with us? What, how does that, you know, sure they were brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ, but that was 2,000 years ago. They're long dead. There's no trail or connect. Um, what possible ripple effect could that brotherly love have down through history? I want to give you just a short uh, visual on what I think will be a lot, of, a lot of fun for you in terms of how, where did that trail go? We started, remember we talked about Jerusalem. Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead. The church went into persecution and got scattered. One of the first places it landed was Antioch. 
In Antioch, this is the first place where uh, believers in Jesus were called Christians, Christ's followers. This is where they got the label. This is where it all started. So in Antioch, it all started up, and they uh, were a praying group of people. And in that, while they were praying, the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary trip. Then Paul decided to take a second missionary trip. Uh, so first missionary trip was basically through what we would call modern-day Turkey. Second trip uh, went all the way across from uh, Asia there, Turkey, to across to what we would now call modern-day Greece, to uh, Philippi and then Thessalonica. That's where we're picking it up right here. Berea, then Corinth. Paul stayed about two years in Corinth. And then the gospel went to Rome. In Rome, all kinds of things happen. We know about the catacombs. We know about Christians being fed to the lions. We know about all that stuff. coming. We'll just talk a lot more about this next week. But one of the things that happened was the church flourished because of the way they loved each other. And so the, the gospel took off and, and it kept developing uh, in Rome, and then from Rome, it went north. Uh, the gospel spread through most of Western Europe, and uh, we know some of that history. But then about 830 A.D., all right, so 800 years later, it wound up in Sweden. Yeah, sure, Sven and Ole up there, you know, they got the gospel. And so some of us are Swedish. I don't have Swedish heritage, but I've been around enough of them. And... Uh, and so there was a whole movement of this brotherly love that, that started in Sweden. And uh, it took off. Uh, and then there was religious persecution in Sweden. And so from Sweden then, the gospel jumped across and went all the way across and went to Rock Island, Illinois. All right? How many of you have been to Rock Island, Illinois? Anybody? Ah, oh, you've been there. World traveler. Way to go, Dave. All right? Rock Island, Illinois. Very famous town. Not really. Um, but in 1852, Gustav Palmquist, how's that for a Swedish name, right? Uh, fleeing religious persecution, emigrated from Sweden to Rock Island, Illinois, and he planted a church. In 1852, he planted a church. It was a Swedish Baptist church in Rock Island, Illinois. And that started to spread out. So Palmquist, along with other Swedish immigrants who all landed in the area, multiplied churches throughout the Midwest, in particular Illinois and uh, Minnesota, and they founded what would became known as the Baptist General Conference, which we are now part of, which was known as Converge USA today. All right, and so uh, they founded that, and uh, when that all began to grow, and then many of the Swedes said, "You know, there's a, a place in the United States that reminds us a lot of Sweden. <laughs> you know, I think we should go over there." And so they did. And they moved to Ballard, yeah, sure, you betcha, right? And if you go to Ballard, there's an incredible Swedish and Norwegian history there uh, because it has to do with logging, it has to do with the fishing industry, it has to do with the mountains and the salt water, very similar to what they grew up with. And so there was an entire immigration into this area uh, that became uh, the Swedish churches in the Northwest. Our conference, our district, our association is uh, was the... Uh, is now Converge Northwest, but it was the Columbia Baptist Conference, and it was all made up of Swedish churches. All right? And matter of fact, those churches all sang the songs and did the services in Swedish. And when I came out in 1979, there were still churches singing the Swedish songs, believe it or not. All right? Now, we're no more Swedish than the man on the moon. Right? We're 
kind of Heinz 57. Well, except for a few of us here in the front row, you know. But uh, Marie is Swedish. Uh, but they started a whole bunch of churches uh, to the tune of about 70 churches up and down the coast of the northwest that were Swedish churches that later became English-speaking churches. And then the gospel went from there. This brotherly love spread. Uh, Ballard was planted over 100 years ago. Right? And if you go down to Ballard, Ballard Baptist Church, it's still there. You can see it. My buddy Don Duncan is the pastor there now. And uh, from Ballard, the gospel jumped across the pond, Lake Washington. All right? The little pond, not the big pond. And, uh, and it went to the east side. The east side at that time was nothing. Like kind of the people who couldn't make it in Seattle lived on the east side. All right? It was kind of this farming podunk area um, that, and, and some of you would remember this area, what it looked like 40 years ago. There was not a lot on the east side, and why would you go live over there? But some people in Ballard said, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of homes built over there. We should go over there and plant a church. And so a group from Ballard, including their pastor, came over and in 1969 founded North Shore Baptist Church which is now North Shore Community Church. And they, uh, Jean and Linnea Aristo, who are still alive, uh, they're in their 80s, and uh, Yashur, they're Swedish, Jean and Linnea, and they started a Bible study, and that grew into North Shore Baptist Church. North Shore Baptist then said, hey, we've got to launch some other churches. We've got to get this gospel out farther. And so they planted a number of churches in Edmonds, Mill Creek, Woodenville, and Monroe, the one in Mill Creek, you would know because you're sitting in it this morning, right? Northview Community Church was planted in 1999 and uh, is a plant out of North Shore. And so it continued to spread. And then uh, we even have launched two daughter churches. We have Impact Church in Redmond, Oregon, which is just north above Bend down there on the, the central plateau of Oregon. And uh, that church is still going, uh, went through uh, some terrible stuff, and now is back on its feet and moving forward again. So excited about that. And then Awaken Church in New Wales, Florida, where Andrew and Rebecca Southwick are. Andrew was our former worship leader here, and they went and felt called by God to plant a church in Florida. We've been praying for them. They have some challenges, especially financial, and they would appreciate our prayers, so we want to do that. You can tell, though, our plants kind of ricocheted all over the country again, right? And, you know, and there aren't a lot. We didn't plant organically or locally uh, in the area here. And I want to show you this poster. So out of what happened was 20 years ago, a couple guys, about four or five pastors got together and said, you know, this is one of the most unchurched areas in the United States. And planting new churches is one of the best way to get people's uh, that have not been reached into a, a church is in to plant a new church. And they said, what could God do? And they began to dream and they began to dialogue and they began and they came up with, they called this the, their BHAG session, Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. What would be the big, hairy, audacious goal that we could see God do? And they began to dream about churches that God would plant. And all the churches on the bottom, and I apologize for the small print, you know, if you have to squint, um, we can't, couldn't get it much bigger. But all these are the churches, both planted and adopted by what is now called the North Sound Network, which we're a part of. 
that are churches here in the Northwest that came as a result of that Hague session 20 years ago when those four or five guys got together. Isn't that pretty amazing? That's pretty You don't think stuff is moving, but stuff is really moving. That's really not even the end of it. Um, because the question is, what's the next step? What's next? Uh, two weeks ago, I met with all the pastors and people connected to our conference uh, and those churches you saw on the last slide. And we met out in Monroe, Sultan, actually, beautiful downtown Sultan, and, uh, and met together. And we said, you know, we've kind of slowed. We've kind of stalled. We've kind of stopped. And uh, the question is, okay, we're running off of other people's vision. What's going to be our behave? What's going to be our big, hairy, audacious goal? What's going to come out in the next 20 years out of these churches that were planted? They aren't satisfied just to be planted. We want to be a group of church planting churches. That's part of our DNA. And so that's, we sat together for two weeks and put that together and, and two weeks ago and, and started to talk about what could God do? What's next? And I, I just want you to know this isn't official or all this kind of stuff, but it's, it's pretty solid in that we were sitting there and I looked at Nate Heading, and Nate's the pastor of Cascade uh, Community Church in Monroe, and uh, I was Nate's youth pastor, and we were kind of looking. I said, Nate, what do you think? He says, I'm thinking what you're thinking. I'm thinking, I said, Lake Stevens? He goes, yeah, Lake Stevens, okay. So so we uh, um, we got Snohomish up here. It's supposed to be Lake Stevens. I put the wrong town on. But uh, we're going to plant our next goal together with Cascade will be to plant a church in Lake Stevens, all right? And right away, some of you are going, uh-oh, yeah, uh-oh. Some of you might get called to that, right? And uh, we don't have timing yet. We don't have a team yet. We don't have any of that. Nate and I just looked at each other and said, yep, Lake Stevens, that's the place. And so that's the target for the next plant where we go out and where we launch and and where we're going to go. What I want to point out to you is that all of this tracks all the way back to Thessalonica. That very first, where that first church group started reaching out, started ministering to each other, and the spirit of it was in brotherly love. How can we further the gospel of each other? And, and the churches began to spread in that peninsula of what we know as modern-day Greece. And that has just about gone around the globe. Now, if you take all the extensions off of that, it has gone around the globe. Jesus is talking in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And by saying this, Jesus made this the central core of the target. Um, and we use uh, this diagram for people who come and want to know more about Northview. And uh, So if you're new or visiting, this would help you know where we're coming from. Uh, a lot of churches would say that uh, if you said, what's the core, what's the bullseye, they would say right doctrine. And we would agree that right doctrine is very important. We're very Bible-oriented, very uh, Bible-solid, and go after the Bible that way. But we don't think that's the core of the target, nor do we think right behavior. It's, you can have right behavior, right? Sometimes as a parent, I'm not sure they're tracking right, but they're behaving right, so I'm happy. Right? You ever done that? Right? But behavior doesn't tell you if the heart's right. Right? You can be in a marriage and be doing the right things, behaving right, but not have a heart connection, and it, it's not that good. What's really important is where Jesus said 
in this, John 14, a new commitment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What we pray is that we would do this in such a way that when people come, they say, I sense the love of God in that place. I sense the love of God among that group of people. And we make that the center of our target because we know if we got right doctrine, we know we got right behavior, we got two of the pieces, but the main piece is to have a right relationship with God, to love Him first with all our heart, and then to love others as ourselves. Now, is that an easy thing to do? Right? No. Easy to say, hard to do. We'll talk about this more next week. We're going to take it a step farther because it's much tougher to do. But what I wanted you to see is that this was one of the core pieces that Paul used in the foundation of the church. Okay? It wasn't elegant structure. It wasn't uh, he had a strategic plan or uh, he had the structure for the church. What he said is love each other and just do what God's told you to do. And then the church moved off of that. Now, certainly as history comes along, structures are important. You need all that stuff. But at the core, I think the most important thing is, number one, do we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength? Is that priority number one? Is that target number one? Is that imprint number one? Because then if we do, the natural correlation off of that is an extension of loving each other. And Paul laid this out for Thessalonians Church. What you have to know is, This was brand new. There was no such thing as the church. They stole this term, brotherly love, from the secular world to try and identify what was happening among them that when God saved them and they found out they were family, they had to try and coin a term for it. And Paul pulled this term from the secular culture and said, hey, it's Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. Oh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There had never been brothers or sisters in Christ before. This was the radical idea that changed the world. Right? And it is still the radical idea that is changing the world. God's love for people. And once they become saved and once they become to know Him, then God says that love's going to manifest towards each other. And when it does, people are going to take notice that there's something different. That is just as powerful today as it was in Thessalonica. It's still the same target. And that's why I'm only taking the two verses and spending time on the two verses together because I wanted us to lock in on that. I want to talk more about this. I want to go back to the early century Christians and talk about what stamped them as different from the culture around them because I think it has some things to teach us today that are are powerful and helpful. So let's pray and then we'll come back next week. Father, as we talk about this idea, as we walk through um, this issue of brotherly love, we talk about the target. Uh, Intuitionally, in our minds, right doctrine would seem to be the most important, but yet the target you paint is a right heart. And Lord, those of us who've been saved by you know what it's like to have a wrong heart and have that right heart turned right and be oriented to you in a relational way. And that's something that often can't be put into words. It's something that is a mysterious process and yet it's happening all the time. We seek, Lord, for you to help us to understand this brotherly love concept and this idea of loving you as the main expression of what we're about. Uh, Lord, we're doing a great job reading through the Word this year. Did a great job reading through the Word last year. And that should should simply be the platform 
to launch this idea off of. And so we give this to you this morning. This song we're about to sing really wraps this idea with a bow on top and uh, gives us a way to sing it back to you. So I pray, Lord, you'd be blessed as we do that. Give that to you in your name. Amen.